Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Raphael Jacobin. How are you doing, Raphael? I'm good. How are you, Sam? Yeah, all good, thanks. Also got Rich Rich Hall with us today. How are you, Rich? I'm good, thanks. It's a nice sunny day, so yeah, it's all good. Lovely. And finally, Jake Smalley. How are you, Jake? I'm all good, Sam. I'm a bit good. You left me to last, but we'll, uh, we'll just skate over that one a little bit. Just, just the way you've popped up on the Zoom call, I'm afraid. Um, okay, so let's crack on to the weekend. Um, and yeah, some interesting games this weekend. I'm going to come to you first, Raphael. I think the biggest talking point was Juventus losing at home to Benevento. Not many people <clears throat> predicted that. Um, but from your perspective, what went wrong for Juventus? And is that the end of their title challenge? Yeah, I think just... Too many players were way off the pace in that game. I mean, you know, not only did you have the usual suspects like Bernardeschi, for example, throughout this season just hasn't been hasn't been with it. But yeah, I think it just generally in the attack they were misfiring, they were inaccurate, and you know it was. I mean, I'd say it wasn't their day, but it hasn't really been their year in general. Um, you know, Morata, Morata since the start of the season, he he's just. You know, his form's just gone off a cliff edge. Uh, we saw that chance he missed in the, against Benevento. It was sort of symptomatic of the second half of the season for him. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, the goal that they conceded was pretty much symbolic of what's been going wrong for them in the past few weeks. It's just too sloppy to, um, you know, just not, you're just way off the mark. And it's, it's quite interesting, actually, because... Um, there's been the sort of tactical debate going on in Italy right now in terms of um, building out from the back. And a lot of the pundits in Italy are actually pointing to Arthur's mistake and saying that, you know, this this is why we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't sort of build out from the back, just hoof it out from the fence. And um, and that's, that has been a lot, that has been the sort of criticism that's been levelled at people are actually, you know, trying to play in a, sort of in a too too sophisticated way with players which who you know aren't really at that level at least who aren't at that level yet so that, that's that was sort of interesting to see how the how the goal they conceded was analyzed but in terms of their um yeah in terms of the title challenge i would say it's probably over i mean they're, they're way off um they're way off into right now and they still got to play they've still got to play into themselves Napoli, Milan, and Atalanta in the last 10 games, I think that's safe to say that they're not going to come back from that, especially on current form. Yeah, certainly looks tricky for them. Um, Rich, we, we've seen with Juventus this season that um, they've dropped quite a few points in these types of games. I'm thinking away at Crotone, they only managed to draw. They got thrashed by Fiorentina just before Christmas. Um why do you think they've struggled in these types of games this season? I think it's a, <clears throat> a couple of points, really. I think that even this stems back even as far as Milizio Sadi, when, uh, you know, they're trying to change the style completely. I mean, Juventus, one thing they used to always be was completely pragmatic under Allegri. And I think with Sarri, you know, at the NL, he's wanted to change that philosophy. Um, and so they tried to play a bit more. And then they sort of countered that by buying Cristiano Ronaldo, which again made them more like any team. He's Ronaldo-centric in a sense. Um, and I think that Patrici and Nedved have got to answer for a little bit because the recruitment's not been right. I mean, you look at the midfield again, and, you know, 
uh, Rabio's not been on form. I mean, you mentioned Benedeski playing in all sorts of positions. Even players like Kulisevsky not really stepping up to the mark every game. And one thing you used to have about Juventus was this consistency. You know, it was consistent. It was good. The back line was always good. It wasn't pretty. You know, that's why they got rid of Allegri in the end, because they wanted to win in style. Uh, but again, you know, you look at that game against Benevento. And Benevento, I think I think what, what's happened this season under, under Perlo, and it's not completely his fault, of course, but I think they've lost that air of invincibility. And so now you get teams like Spezia, Fiorentina, not classing them as the same club there, by the way, but, you know, teams in the middle of the table, the bottom part of the table, um, aren't as scared. And they know that there's a mistake in them here and there as well. Um, and so, you know, the game plan generally is to try and to snuff out Ronaldo and, and hit them on the counter. Um, again, you know, they had a lot of attempts on target. Uh, sorry, a lot of attempts on goal. Um, but as, as Raf said, it wasn't clinical enough. And so I think... There's so many different areas to that to that question, but um, yeah, for me, for me, the title is going to be very, very difficult for them now. And that game in Turin well, against uh, Dabdelamola is going to be absolutely massive for Perlo. It's interesting that you mentioned Sari then, because of course we saw last season that Juventus did still win the title but then got rid of him. It now looks like Pirlo and Juventus aren't going to win the title this year. So looking ahead to next season, Jake. Do you expect Pirlo to still be there? Or is it more important that Juventus overhaul their squad this summer? Uh, I think the most important uh, aspect is definitely the overhaul of the squad. I think it doesn't matter what manager they've got, a lot of things need to change. We know why the squad's in the position that it's in. And it's because the money's been spent to bring in Cristiano Ronaldo, ultimately. Sacrificing sort of fringe players the last few years to get him in has been the name of the game, and the idea was winning the Champions League, and that's not worked. So ultimately, it needs to be rescaled. The squad, Rich just mentioned, that midfield area is really weak. That's something that really needs strengthening. They brought in Arturo last summer, and that's not worked. So for me, that's got to be the biggest priority. Whether they trust a rookie manager to do that or not, I don't know. But they trusted him to give him the job in the first place. So I don't know. I don't blame. Perlo entirely for Juventus' struggles this year. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that it's just a bit of the end of an era, really, with this team, and it needs rebuilding. And I think they knew that maybe two or three years ago, but thought, you know what, let's try and keep them together. You know, this this team has sort of come this far. Let's chuck Ronaldo in there, see if we can win the Champions League. And then now they've realised, sort of maybe a little bit too late, that the squad's ultimately not quite good enough. And um, for me, that's definitely got to be the priority in the summer. Just change a few players out because otherwise they're going to really struggle to even challenge close again next season for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go after Pirlo, but I do think that, you know, if, with someone who wasn't a rookie manager would have would have undoubtedly had a better season despite the, you know, despite the, the failings of the squad. I think Pirlo as a move, uh, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to say that, I don't want to say that I called it or anything, but I did say at the start of the season that a lot of people did have this sort of warped image of Pirlo because he did have, as a player, he's had this, you know, this image as a very cultured, refined player, which a lot of people thought would sort of translate to being a very tactical, tactically astute manager. That hasn't really been the case. Um, you know, I mean, we saw his the thesis that he wrote for his uh, for his diploma wasn't wasn't exactly sort of, you know, intricate stuff. I think he, there was a section on defending and his um the introduction was the goal of defending is to not concede goals something something along that along those lines so it's not very 
not very incisive stuff. And um, but I mean, I don't want to call him. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to write him off so early on in his managerial career. I think I just think that he's it's not the right it's not the right job for him. You know, you you compare it to Inzaghi, for example, who you know who tactically outsmarted him at the weekend. He he got he made his he made his mark in in a, in a lower division first and then made his way up, and that's 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 the that's the road that Pilo has to go on to sort of earn his earn his badges. Um, and I'm not you know I, I don't think he's the right person to sort of preside over Juventus you know a club as big as Juventus rebuilding because they're going to have to rebuild at this point and um, yeah it's 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 a complicated one because I. I I hate to see him go because you, know, you want to see a player like uh, the next player like Pirlo succeed in management, but unfortunately, I don't really see him as the best, uh, the best to take Juventus forward. Yeah, I think um, in his book, I think maybe he was asked what uh, what did he do just before the World Cup final in two thousand and six, and I think he said he was just playing FIFA all afternoon. So that sort of does suggest he's not the deepest thinker about the game, and is maybe just a natural great player. Whether that will translate to management, we'll have to see. Um, I'm now going to move on though to Milan, and they cemented their place. Um, you know, in second in the table this weekend with an excellent 3-2 win over Fiorentina. I thought this was a really good game, actually. Um, Going to come to you, Rich, on this one. How big a result was this for Milan, given that they just lost to Napoli in the league? They'd just been knocked out of the Europa League by Manchester United as well. I think it was a big result, especially when, obviously, we've just talked about what happened to Juventus and obviously into uh, the situation with Sassuolo, which I know we'll come to. Um I think with Milan at the moment, I think, you know, it's sometimes difficult to judge them in one respect because the expectations at the beginning of the season, you know, were that they, you know, obviously had all this situation. Will Ralph Raniak come in? Will it be a re overhaul? Will Maldini go? And for me, the job that Pioli's done is quite phenomenal because we often talk about players up in their game and becoming, an, you know, from a good player to an elite player. Pioli, uh, you know, has always been that sort of safe pair of hands, if you want to call it that. It's his sort of, you know, middle to average coach. And he's actually changed his own image. We should talk about coaches like that, that he's potentially on his way in, at his age, which isn't too old, but to becoming a, a potential, you know, elite coach. And the way he's handled some of those big names and mixed them, you know, with the younger players in the squad. And we've seen developments like Hernandez, Chanaloglu, Rafael Lau, Rebic. They've all been, you know, just to name a few, been brilliant. So I think that the result, um, after having a couple of def- you know a couple of defeats to be expected, this was not going to be a perfect Milan side. And so for me to still be the point differences there, the point difference where they are from Inter, when Inter are so much further on in their project, and you look at Milan, have weren't really sure what they were doing in the summer. I still think it's phenomenal that they're still going to press, and I think they will continue to press. You know, it's um, it, like the game against Manchester United. It could have gone a different way. Uh, Napoli, you know, you get them on the wrong day and they're either terrible sometimes or absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, for me, I think that overall, um, Milan can be quite proud of that. Um, it was, you know, like you say, it's an entertaining game. And if that, I've got to say as well, that shot from Ibrahimovic that nearly went in, I think, at the post, dropped a crossbar, that, that was just unbelievable. And he's, you know, at the end of the day, people talk, you, you know, you can't rely on Ibra. Well, they don't because when he was missing, they still produce results. He just complements what is a very good side. So, yeah, lots to be positive about for Milan. I just, 
I think the answer to your question is that we've got to be careful where we judge them. We can't be always looking at them as title contenders and up there because it's not what we expected at the start of the season. So if you're a Milan fan, I imagine you're absolutely thrilled with where you are now. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you make with Ibrahimovic because I actually think his impact on the pitch has been slightly overplayed by some people looking in and it's actually his impact off the pitch and sort of having him around the dressing room that's uh, been, been a bigger thing for Milan. Um, but I wanted to touch uh, actually on their opponents as well this weekend. That was Fiorentina. They put in a really good show and, and could have easily got a point from that game. But, uh, of course, on Monday, it came out that uh, Cesare Prandelli was stepping back from his role as Fiorentina manager. Uh, this, of course, was his second spell in charge at the club. He, he did so well the first time round. But uh, a very emotional statement actually coming out. And, Jake, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, what did you make of it? Because we very rarely see that kind of honesty from a manager. So, so what, what did you make of the statement? Uh, I think the word I used to describe it was quite candid. I was quite surprised and quite shocked, really. Uh, something that sort of came out of the blue to me. Um, I think it's a real shame. I think Prandelli as a manager, definitely, in the past, more so than the present, has contributed so much to the league. You know, the job he's done with Verona in the past, Palmer, first below Fiorentina, he's been an excellent coach. So it's definitely a little bit of a shame to see him in such a situation where if he feels ultimately can't carry on. So... You know, from a personal point of view, that's really sad. And, you know, I hope he sort of works things out and gets back to his best. I'd like to see with the dugout again. But from the sort of last remaining sentences or so, last paragraph of that letter, he seemed to suggest that that was it for him. So I'm a little bit disappointed um, from, you know, a neutral point of view, not being able to see his teams uh, in the league. And I was really, uh, well, I had high hopes for him when he came back into Fiorentina, but it didn't ultimately work, really. And I had a good result where you've um, had a couple of wins recently that have been a little bit better, you know, some stronger performances. But ultimately, it's been a little bit disappointing. But I would like to see him have a go after the summer and bring a couple of players in, maybe a few players out. It would have been quite interesting to see if he could have taken them on any further. But uh, I wish him well more than anything else. I, I just feel quite sad when I think about it, really. It's just a shame. But um, definitely worth paying tribute to the job that he's done in the past um, as a manager. Definitely that first spell at Fiorentina and like I said, at Palmer and Verona, he's an excellent coach as well. So um, I wish him well. Yeah, of course, he's had an excellent career um, with the Italian national team as well when they made the uh, Euro 2012 final. So um, we, we we do wish him well. Um, but looking ahead, I think we've spoken all season about how there's a lot of talent in that Fiorentina squad and they've struggled to, you know, tap into all that talent. So looking ahead, Raphael, who do you think, could possibly come in um, and take that side forwards. It's an interesting one because we saw if Prandelli, even though the the overall results didn't necessarily improve, a lot of players, a lot of individual players, seem to sort of come into their own a lot more. We saw Vlahovic; he seemed to sort of flourish under Prandelli. Um, I don't know if he'll be able to sort of carry on in that form in that in that vein under under Yakini again, but it. Brandelli definitely had an impact on his um, on his form, and then you know, generally in their in their style of play as well, it seemed to be a bit more a bit more coherent, a bit more you know, there was a, more, there were more ideas really in the in the way they were playing. Um, in terms of in terms of an individual manager to to pick out to sort of come in, it really it really depends on what um, on what Rocco Camisa wants to do with the club. 
at this point because I mean, he's 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 probably I mean he's probably the most outspoken of the of the current um, of the current Serie A presidents into, and into, which is a good thing in terms of sort of, you know bringing his club forward. Clearly, he's he's very involved and he cares. But obviously, his his managerial choices haven't been very inspired, and they haven't really they haven't really reflected the ambition that he's that he's been uh, he's been talking about. So. I mean, I mean, it depends. I'd like to see Sarri come in. Obviously, it would be great for. I think he could do some. He can do some very good stuff with the with the squad, especially you know. It can be also painted as a sort of homecoming since he's a Tuscan as well. That would be that would be that would make for a nice story, and I think it'd be nice just to have a, you know, a manager who's who who is a bit of a, a bit of a football romantic to to manage Fiorentina instead of the very pragmatic. Uh, pragmatic coach like Giacchini so that uh, yeah that, that would be my choice personally but again it, it really depends on the it really depends on Kami so you know I think he will have a sort of he will he will sit down and sort of have a think about the strategy of, of the club moving forward at the end of the season and yeah will will he will he move will he just move ahead with um with this sort of pragmatic style or maybe change up the strategy a bit. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really important summer for Fiorentina. They they've been under underachieving for a few years now, so we'll have to see if they can turn that around. Um, now we're going to get onto the part of the show that I'm sure Rich and Jake have been looking forward to. We're going to talk a bit about Inter now. Uh, of course, they didn't play this weekend, and we will get onto that a little more in a sec. But um, first of all, given the results we've had this weekend. Rich, I'm going to come to you. you. You said you thought Juventus would struggle, but you sort of hinted that you feel Milan is still just about there. So are you willing to say Inter are going to go on and do it now? Or, or are you still a little bit cautious that Milan could come back? I'm not saying Inter are going to win this title unless I see it in their hands. Um, <laughs> that's too long too many times before. No, no, it's at the moment, I think Milan are still in there. Um, you know, I was a bit disappointed with the situation. Um, I think that, you know, obviously, if you've got players, and this has been a debate uh, with the situation with COVID, even though, yes, yes, it was four players. Yes, it was four key players. Um, so, you know, do you play the game or not? It hasn't done. Uh, for for Perle to throw, throw a comment saying that it was a benefit for Inter, I'm not 100% sure because, you know, it's about momentum as well. Sassuolo is a, a tricky tie, apart from a couple of hammerings that Inter have given Sassuolo. It's generally a bit of a bogey squad for them. So, you know, there's arguments there to see, you know, exactly what benefit that's given Inter or not given them. But considering we've got the international break now and those, most of those players have still travelled, um, you know, if you say it's here and there. But if you take that debate aside... I think that what Conte is doing now is it's really coming to fruition. I think you've seen from January that it's more the interviews that come out of the squad. It's that togetherness. And even like when we've seen players like Ericsson and Perisic, for me, it's the not just the Bastonis and Lukaku's and Toromatenses and Barellas, but it's the other sort of fringe players that are now buying into it and giving performances. And I think collectively it does give into more of a, more of a chance to win the Scudetto. Uh, I also think as well, the fixtures are, when I say kind, it's, you've got to be careful with Inter with that. Because sometimes you look at it and you think, well, Juventus and Roma at the end, they could almost have it won by then. 
But for me, sometimes with the way Conte style, it's actually better against the big teams because they can take you take away possession and come and hit them on the counter. And so it's it's more sometimes with the smaller teams when they bank everything behind the ball that you know Inter and Conte struggle. And that's why Ericsson's been so impressive in the second part of the season. So yeah, I think that you know yeah they didn't play. Um, and but now when you look at I don't I, I know this is one thing that just gets me as well. This idea of fixture pileup it makes no sense. You know, when they're talking about, oh, you know, Inter have got an extra game. Look, I think Juventus have got uh, five games and then six games in, in five in April, six in, in May because of the Coppa Italia final. Inter, you know, OK, they've got to replay the Sassuolo game, but it's one game extra. And, you know, it's, and Milan have got 10 overall. So, you know, all this idea of Inter being out of Europe, I think if you look and compare that to Juventus, it means three games. So you could look at that and say, well, three games, nine days overall, if you include travel there and back, you know, training that they've had benefit uh, benefit from. But yeah, I think now it's almost like just a quick fire fight to the finish. And uh, I am hopeful, but I will never say, yeah, it's a done, done deal yet. Yeah. And I think um, it, it's interesting with that. There have been, there has been, as you say, some criticism of Inter uh, having their match postponed. Uh, looking at it from, from the outside, it seems that, it's not actually that much of an advantage for Inter because it means they will have to play another midweek game. And traditionally, they've been better when they've had a week to prepare. I know most people think that Conte is one of the best coaches around when he has a week to prepare. So from that perspective, it doesn't seem to be that much of an advantage. But I'm going to come to you, Jake. Um, if Inter do get over the line this year, we've just seen Juventus win nine on the trot. Do you see that as sort of a one-off period of domination? Or could we see someone like Inter start to put together a few titles on the trot themselves? Yeah, I think that's pretty hard to say. Um, I think it's a tough argument. I think with Inter, it depends on the financial situation uh, of the club. That's been quite well documented the last few months on where that's going to stand because I think if the financial situation was there for Inter, you can guarantee they'd have a bit of investment. I think you could probably say that they'd be the team for the next two or three years. You know, the squad's there pretty strongly. A uh, couple of weaker areas they could address if they had the money to maybe uh, do that and then keep hold of the players they've got on board. Um, but, you know, as well, Juventus going for a little bit of a rebuild. If Perlo stays next season... Similar squad, Ronaldo goals. You know, there's there's so many different scenarios. It's it's hard to say. I, I, I can't see anyone going on a nine sort of street like Juventus have just done. Um, Milan as well next season. We, we don't know what to expect from them. We didn't expect this this season. Will they strength and bring some players in and be around there again? I don't know. You know, it's it's really really hard to say. I mean, even Napoli if they got another manager in could drag them and you know give it a decent go and that's a dark horse sort of statement but it's true they could they could give it a bit of a go but I think it's too difficult to sort of say I think we'll know more come the summer when we can see what happens with Inter and what happens with Ronaldo really um, I, I won't like to put any money on who'd win the title next season uh, definitely I'll, I'll even say that for this season to be honest with you I'm not I'm not counting anything yet so we'll see yeah I, I think it's um it's funny listening to supporters with this because it seems everyone outside of Inter supporters are going, well, the title is done now. But uh, you speak to most Inter fans and they're going, not just yet, give us time. So <laughs> we'll, uh, 
we'll see how that pans out. Um, I'm now going to slip slightly further down the table. We're going to start looking at the, the top four race. Uh, there was a big game for this on Sunday night, Roma-Napoli. <clears throat> we wondered, <clears throat> you know, Napoli starting to pick up form. Roma have a horrible record in these games. And that just continued on the weekend. Napoli won 2-0. It was very comfortable. Raphael, what, what did you make of it? Are, are we now starting to see with their last couple of performances that Napoli have a real shot of making the top four this season? They do, but um, I think going back to the game, I think Roma do have a legitimate, you know, a legitimate grievance to make about the whole, um, you know, the whole Napoli-Juventus postponement situation and the fact that it did give Napoli, a, you know, a seven-day, uh, a seven-day break. While they they had to play in the, in Europe, so you know I wouldn't I wouldn't take necessarily take the game as at face value. I mean, obviously, you know it, they have they've been awful in their big games throughout the season anyway. So it's not it's not a completely unexpected result, but I think it'd be harsh to sort of you know criticize uh, criticize Fonseca too much on that on that. But yeah, in terms of in terms of the top four, I think you know Napoli are. Very much, very much in the mix. I think, you know, you, with Juventus sort of slipping away as well, I, I would probably tip, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe tip, tipping them to, to, to drop out of the top four completely is a bit of a, a bit of a stretch. But I think Napoli and Atalanta are generally, you know, they've got the most momentum going into this, uh, these final ten games. And they've got a better schedule ahead than Juventus, so it's going to it, it's definitely going to go right down to the wire. I mean, it's great to see that Gattuso generally seems to sort of regain favour in the at, in the at Napoli and with with the Napoli management because he was under a lot of pressure for for the last three four months basically since that and since the contract negotiations back in November, which went a bit sour, but it seems like. It seems like it's not a done deal that he would leave at the end of the season, contrary to a few weeks ago, which which is great to see. But um, yeah, I think it's great that Napoli, you know, they they've got players who are coming back into form. Insigne had a rough patch for the last, basically from the from the turn of the year until uh, until recently, and he's he's coming back into form. Mertens as well is hitting a good streak, so. I, I would I would say Napoli are on a very strong course to to hit the top four. Yeah, it does seem that they're starting to gather momentum now. Um, on the flip side of that, we saw Roma, and um, the thing that struck me was just how badly they started this game once again. And it's been a common trend. We we saw in the Rome derby earlier in the season they were awful throughout that game. I remember when they played Inter at the Olimpico, they were excellent in the first half and then had a horrendous 20 minutes after half-time before rescuing a point. That was actually one of their better performances in one of these big games. But looking at it from from from, uh, from your perspective, Rich, um, these games, are they sort of the nail in the coffin for Fonseca leaving this summer? Or, or do you think he will perhaps still stick around next year? It's funny, you know, because <clears throat> I was listening then when Raf said about Gattuso and we talked, <clears throat> excuse me, we talked about Perlo and it, <laughs> same goes with Fonseca. It, it's funny because I think a lot of this now um, will de depend, I know it's obvious in a sense that it will depend on the final places, but you read the uh, headline this morning, I think it was 
uh, was it Tuto Sport? Can't quite remember. Uh, saying that you know it's going to be a merry-go-round for for coaches depending on on how they finish, and you could have this with several different clubs. And Fonseca, you know, I, I compare it in some respects to maybe, maybe it's the pandemic and the situation you know throughout this where you've seen players and uh, there's loads of different parameters around which we don't need to go into, but just basically things like yeah, we've seen certain players play best without fans in the stadium, etc. It's not been the normal gauges we have to to monitor football. Um, and again, you know, Roma put in some good performances this season, uh, but but then the other ones, like you say, they started slow and dropped off a cliff. I think when you've got people like Pedro Mkhitaryan and Jeko in your squad, you're not going to get 90 minutes out of that. You know, it, it, they've got some players that need replacing. Uh, that project needs looking at. Um, but again, you know, Fonseca for me, um, it, it, it's going to depend on the project of, of how Roma see it, because if we compare it very similar to Gattuso, Napoli have been absolutely blistering in certain games, especially when Insigne has been happy and on form. But when they've been bad, it's been dismal to watch. And so, again, you're going to look at it at the end of the season, and I think we're going to have Juventus and Napoli-Roma, just as a few, who will look at it and go, OK, where are we? Where did we finish more than anything? Because if Napoli or Roma finish in the Champions League spot, it paints such a different story to the Europa League. Of course it does, or out of Europe altogether. But if you take the performances, the margins are so small. That's why it's so difficult to answer that question, I'm afraid, because if you're asking me to compare, say, I will just in that game, the situation in Naples and Rome, I don't think it's very much different. But, you know, if Roma finish in the Champions League, I think Fonseca stays and vice versa. So it's difficult at the moment because I don't think either of the coaches are really um, performing as well as they probably should do, consistently at least. Yeah, I think at the start of the season, I, I sort of thought Roma would finish about sixth or seventh this, this year. So I don't think it's necessarily about, you know, where they are in the table right now. I think they're doing about what I expected, but it's just these performances in these big games that is that are massively letting them down right now. Um, and we're now going to move on to another side in that top four equation, uh, and that's Atalanta. Um First of all, I want to touch on how they did last week against Real Madrid. I personally thought they had a great chance of coming back in that tie. This isn't the Real Madrid of old. That you know there aren't that many players that scare you, but but Jake, they uh, they fell quite some way short in the end, and I thought it was a really disappointing performance. How did you see it? I think they've been a little bit disappointed. It's it's a big game for them, probably one of the biggest games in the history of the club, but. Ultimately, I think you can draw similar slight parallels between Real Madrid and Atalanta in the fact that this Atalanta team is probably just about to undergo a little bit of a transition. I could argue it probably is a little bit in transition. I think Gomez leaving is big. We've discussed that plenty of times before. And I think the team's starting to evolve a little bit. We saw it at the weekend. We have got a couple of injuries in the squad there so that we could talk about players like Hataboa. You know, he's missing. But um, I think they're evolving a little bit. They're trying to change the system a little bit. I think a couple of departures might happen in the summer. You've even had Castagna the previous summer as well. So I think the Atlanta side of maybe 18 months ago, we've done a better job against Real Madrid. I think that shock factor, the style of football, something from them that we maybe haven't seen before in European football at that level, it would have surprised Real Madrid, especially some of these sort of slower, older heads in that Real Madrid side. But 
I think they'll be really disappointed. I think it was some sort of a bit of a big moment for them. But I just feel since the Champions League departure last season, we've not quite seen Atalanta. That that felt to me a little bit like the end of that cycle. That cycle sort of finished. And now we're beginning a new one. I think even Ilicic is starting to get phased out a little bit. I think we're going to see a few changes at Atalanta. And it's things that they're prepared for. And I think that's great credit to the club because, you know, the way they operate is to buy players, sell them on, produce players, sell them on. And uh, I think we're about to enter another phase of Atalanta. But to think that they'll still be sort of top four challengers this season, that's a really good testament to, you know, what is meant to be a provincial club, really. So, yeah, I think in terms of that game, I think they'll be a little bit disappointed. I think they'll hope for better. But I think Atalanta, their biggest concern is trying to make sure that they're here to stay and make sure that the Champions League season after season, I think that's got to be the priority. And I think off the pitch, they're making the right moves to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, if we'd have said five years ago that Atalanta would be disappointed losing to Real Madrid, I think you'd have thought we were a bit mad. But, um, you know, those are just the expectations nowadays. But, of course, moving on to the weekend, they did bounce back really well. They were without their normal wing-backs and they still managed to beat Verona 2-0. So, what do you think of things, Raphael? I, I understand what Jake's saying there. I think perhaps over the last sort of six months, Atalanta aren't that sort of using that gung-ho style that we've seen in the past, they're maybe a little bit more measured. Is, is that a good thing, a bad thing, or, do, or just a different approach? I mean, it's, in a way, it is a bit of a, of a changing of the guard, in a way. I think you talk about the, you know, sort of the main players over the past few years, just either moving on, like um, like Gomez or, or, uh, or Castagne or any of the others, or just being phased out of the team. But I think, you know, their replacements have done pretty well. I mean, we saw Miranchuk over the weekend had a very good game. You know, it's probably one of his most most influential Atalanta games. Um, and obviously, you've still got the likes of Muriel and Zapata and who've, you know, been consistently consistently performing. You've got Piscina coming through as well. I, I think generally they are in good hands in terms of... a. You know, in terms of attacking firepower for the next few years at least. So I think I don't think they'll be worrying too much on that. I think um I you know it won't be as it won't necessarily be as entertaining as uh, as the past few as the past few years because obviously those those they are different types of players. So they are gonna so Gasparini is gonna have to sort of you know sort of revisit that a bit, maybe maybe go for a less exper- experimental style of play. I mean, although we talk about experimentation, but, you know, he went for a back four at the weekend for the first time in something like five five years. So, uh, you know... A back, a back four of centre-backs as well. <laughs> as well, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, that was sort of in a, an emergency situation because yeah. of, because there, there, there weren't any wing-backs available. But, you know, I, I, wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be so... so pessimistic about Atalanta I think they are gonna you know these um these sorts of European European defeats are the sort you know they they forge a team moving forward and I think the, the current crop that they've got you know that they've sort of bought from uh you know from from all around Europe will probably maybe not hit the same heights as this the you know the as the last few years but they'll you know they'll definitely still be consistently in the top four, I think, 
and I can see, you know, I, I can see them their sort of their sort of honeymoon period still you know, carrying on for for the for the next few years. And of course, the the last side uh, in that sort of you know going for the top four right now uh, is Lazio. They beat Udinese one nil on the weekend, which is. Actually, a very good result for them, given that Udinese have been playing well lately. Um, Rich, going to come to you on this one, because the main thing I want to talk about here is there's been a bit of speculation about Simone Inzaghi's future. And, um, you know, if Pirlo was to go, I think Inzaghi is seen as someone who could possibly take over at Juve. He, he was linked with the job, of course, when before Sari came in. So do you think that would be a good appointment for Juve? And from Inzaghi's perspective, would he take it or do you expect him to remain loyal to Lazio? I think he'd be a great appointment, if I'm, if I'm honest. You know, we talked quite a bit about coaches in, in this uh, in this podcast. And, you know, to have a coach who's still relatively, well, still young, um, he's very clued up in what his own style is and how he wants to play. And not only that, has executed it continually with an under-resourced side. I think it's quite miraculous I think what we've seen from Lazio in the past season since well since he's been there has been a side that's punched above the weight in some respects um you know they've got a yeah okay the, the biggest argument always with Lazio is if you take Luis Alberto, Chino Immobile or Milinkovic Savic out the squad it's not quite the same but he still makes them manage to get points and win somehow it's always the best performance but at the moment, you know, the Tito, he's not going to get backed unless they sell one of the, the main main players. It's not going to be, you know, it's not the Cagnottis. It's not going to be loads of money pumped in in the summer. So where's he? I, if I'm in Zaghi, I'd look at it and say, well, where am I going to be, uh, you know, come start next season? Well, if you keep hold of all your same players, probably exactly the same place. So, you know, for him to go and try and do this at a team that, you know, with or without Ronaldo, um, actually going back to Juventus, don't want to do that too much, but I think it would be better for him to go to that squad when Ronaldo's gone um, and be able to put something together. I think it'd be really entertaining to see what he could do. And for Juventus as well, you know, the, like I said, you know, it's not, I think he's got the respect. It still is that thing in Serie A where they want the, if the coach is good and he's Italian, it's always going to be a bonus. And I think, you know, the fans are obviously warm to him. So, yeah, I mean, I've got to admit, you know, he's been linked a lot, but even this morning when I was talking about the papers and it listed everyone, when Inzaghi's name came, I had to suddenly go back to it and think, well, why is his name there? He's done such a good job at Lazio. But that's why his name was there, because of the Juventus link, and it's well-deserved. Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, I, I think that, that could be an interesting one to look at over the summer. Um, just from a Lazio perspective, on the pitch, you mentioned how they've got, you know, three or four really key players. One of those is Chiro Immobile, who's just going through a bit of a barren spell at the moment, actually. I mean, his, his goal-scoring record over the last sort of three or four years has been outstanding. But is this something to worry about, Jake, given that Lazio are still just about clinging on to trying to get into the top four? Or do you think he'll get back to his goal-scoring way soon enough? Well, I think he'll be hoping to win a few more penalties because that tends to be a, a handy one for him getting his goal tally up. But yeah, I think he'll be a little bit disappointed. I think, you know, we, we spoke about this many times. I think when you look at that core uh, players of Lazio that you mentioned, uh, Alberto, Milinkovic, Savic as well, and uh, Chirpy players like that, when they're on form, they're, they're, a, they're a really strong outfit, a team that should definitely be looking at top four football, if not, you know progressing the Champions League a little bit. But this season's been hard on Lazio, really. I think the players have struggled to acclimatise. And I don't think that's too much their fault. I think the fact that 
they've not been backed in the market enough to bring in a squad to compete playing Champions League football and sort of trying to maintain what they did last year because, you know, let's not forget before lockdown, they, they were looking like title contenders. So, um, ultimately, I think a few of the players this season have dropped off a tiny little bit. And I think Immobile is definitely one of those players. But um, looking back at last few years, I don't think many people would have expected the go return that he did give. You know, he had an excellent spell at Torino before he went over to uh, Dortmund and played at Sevilla. But when he came back, he came back to sort of little fanfare a little bit, really. You know, it's less than £9 million to sign him, which is an absolute bargain. And thinking of players, you know, in the championship over here, they go for more money than that. You know, it's crazy. So I think he'll be, you know, hoping to get back on the score sheet. I think it will help the team improve. But I think in all honesty, this year has been a bit of a tough one for them. So to expect Terry to be on sort of full tilt like they were, you know, the first half of last season is quite a bit of a tough ask. And the same for the manager as well. I think, you know, like Rich was saying, he's, he's done an excellent job. Um, with a shoestring budget and trying to sort of manoeuvre these same players and getting the same out of them week in, week out. And that's that, that's a real tough ask for them. So I hope he does return to form. We can see Napoli give it a really good go in terms of the press for the top four towards now the end of the season. And they'll definitely need him uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, I think Lazio uh, will be an interesting one. They do seem to have sort of stagnated a bit this year, but uh, but still just about in that hunt for the top four. Um, so we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, we're now going to turn our attention to the bottom half of the table. Um, and it was a really interesting weekend here. We're, we're going to look first at Torino, uh, who played two games over the past week. Amazing comeback victory against Sassuolo last week. 2-0 down with 15 minutes to go. Managed to win 3-2. We wondered if they'd back that up against Sampdoria. And they didn't. They lost 1-0. So, Raphael, based on the past couple of games, how do you assess their chances of survival? Any any better than they were this time last week? Or, you know, what has the last week told us about Torino? I mean, they're still the best place team out of that sort of, you know, bottom quarter to you know to avoid it I think they've definitely they've definitely turned the corner since the since the first half of this season I think under Nicola they've um, they haven't necessarily showed up the defence far from it but they've um, you know they managed to at least get more attacking players involved other than Belotti to try and you know chip in with some goals I think you know uh, last week was a good example of that for example you know we had a um, yeah, it was it was Simone Tata who scored two two late goals to win it. You know that that was that was you know an example of a player other than Belotti stepping up, which which is crucial. I think um, Mandragora as well coming in 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 the winter seems to have done a well seems to have had a good impact. He's chipped in with a few goals and he's managed to be you know hold his own in that midfield. So. Yeah, I think I think they've they're definitely on the right track. Even if you know, you know, Nicola's not a magician; he's not going to change their form from from one day to the next. And they're always gonna they're always gonna yeah have have these sort of have these sort of off games. You know, we saw against Sampdoria; they there a lot of their um you know there were a lot of missed chances on their part. On another day, it could have gone differently. So. I think they've got they've got a bit of momentum that they might they should be able to to ride on to you know to see the season out. I've actually been really disappointed by Torino to be honest with you. Uh, I think they've been poor recently. Uh, I think against Inter they were a little bit unlucky. I think that goal from Martinez a little bit high, nothing 
sort of gave uh, into the winning that one. But I was really disappointed against Sandor. I thought they were poor. And I think as much as they've got sort of games on their side and they have been slightly better since they've changed manager, I think it might even benefit them potentially to get relegated. I think that squad needs a massive overhaul. I think on paper, some of the players they've brought in are quite good. Mandragora, like you just mentioned, is a good player. Uh, I think he's a good player. I think Sinabria as well has been a decent addition. But I think ultimately, there's something just not quite right there. I don't know if it's Cairo-related or what. I'm not sure. I, I, I just really feel that it might be good for them to go down and have a bit of a rebuild. If they could stay up, maybe, and do the same rebuild, but I couldn't see. I, I think maybe... It, would do them some good to go down. I just, I just think they're really stale at the moment. I look at the squad; there's some decent players in there. I think Bremer, you know, Sirig, who's vastly experienced, one of the top goalkeepers in the league when he's sort of on his day. But I've been really, really disappointed by them, and uh, I don't know what it is. I think they're just really irritating me at the moment. I just like to see them sort of something just to give. I'm not really too sure what it is. I just think something needs to change at that club, and maybe having them relegated might sort of help them sort of rebuild and find a bit of identity. Because even with the manager. Uh, Nicola's done a little bit better since he's come in, but I don't really know what his playing style is. All he keeps doing is running on after games and sort of fist bumping people and they're drawn at home. So I, th- I don't really know. I'm not really too sure. I wish you'd tell us how you really feel, Jake. Um, I think, um, yeah, Torino's an interesting one because, of course, two seasons ago they finished seventh. And then last season, they nearly got relegated. So I think this year we were sort of wondering, well, which was the anomaly? And now we have our answer. They're really not very good. So, um, yeah, we, we're, we're going to have to... It's going to be a fascinating final few weeks this season because I think there's still half a dozen teams who could go down. Um and another one of those who are in deep trouble at the moment are Palmer. Um, they've sort of been doing better recently. And... Um, they, they've, of course, got a few draws where they could have even won those games and then they won last week. But they lost on Friday to Genoa, having been 1-0 up. Graziano Pella rolling back the years with an overhead kick. Um, and so, Rich, I'm going to come to you on this one because I know you love, you know, the history of Palmer. But do you <laughs> feel that they're doomed this year to go down now? Uh, yeah, I think, I think Palmer have, again... <sighs> It's a shame in some ways because I think the ownership just came at the wrong time. The ownership change. Um, you know, they, they tried to invest a little bit in the window, but I just think that the players they tended to rely on are just uh, just haven't been good enough. You know, it's it's well, I, I, it's funny. I mean, not everyone can be as good as generally. They rely on people like Goran Pandev to, you know, save them and potentially push them towards those uh, Europa League spots. I'm joking. But, you know, when you look at the likes of, uh, you know, they brought in Pella, and as I said before about Javinho, Sepe has not been really as good as he was through the season. I just think that at least, a joking aside, when just mentioning Genoa then, I, I know that Pandev randomly steps up and it does b- bemuse me how that happens. Even Most of the clubs we've looked at have still got someone who drags them out of trouble. I just don't see who does that for Palmer. I just really don't. Uh, yeah, okay, the odd player can have a decent game, but I, I just think that it's it's not been there so it's a shame because you know I felt that when Palmer came back up um, and especially after the other season last season I thought that maybe they could hopefully press on but I don't know again it's one of those clubs that you know maybe if they do go down the ownership's there he does seem to want to modernise the club he does seem to be doing the right things um, so I'd actually be happy if they did escape but I just think they're going to be too far gone 
I think we thought last year when they lost Kulusevski in the summer, he was going to be a big loss. But I, I don't think we realised quite how big. Um, as you say, they really don't have that player at the moment that can get them out of trouble. I think maybe Kuchka is their best option, but yeah, yeah, potentially even that, that's a big ask of him. Um, with regards to other sides down the bottom, this Spezia Calorie, I think this was a game that we all thought this one's going to be huge. And Spezia came out on top with a 2-1 victory. Um, Raphael, going to come to you on this one. Are, are Spezia just about safe now or do they still need a couple more results? And, and where does this leave Cagliari? It seems their sort of new manager bounces worn off a bit now. They've lost their last couple. Do, do you fear for them? Yeah, I still think Spezia will probably need a few more, um, a few more of those those results between now and the end of the season. I mean, you know, the start. I mean, the standout player of the weekend was um, was Zut, the goalkeeper. Made some crucial saves to keep um, to keep João Pedro out. So. I think it's you know it's great that he's you know you've got players in different parts of the pitch stepping up. I mean we saw in their um, in their win over over Milan it was it was guys at the um, well guys like Sapanara and Agudelo for example up front who were who were stepping up. Now we're seeing a sort of a different side. But um, yeah, in, in terms of Cagliari, it's yeah it's hard to see it's it's hard to see them staying up at this point. I think. I mean, yeah, I I hate to write them off because. You know, you look at the quality in the squad; they shouldn't really be down there. But the fact that the fact that the squad of that quality is relying on one single player in Joao Pedro is very telling. And the fact that no manager has been able—well, none of the recent managers have been able to change that fact—says a lot about the nature of the squad. And maybe hints to the fact that you know a change in manager probably might not have been the. Uh, well, might might not have been the you know the solution, and I mean it's, it's similar to what similar to what Jake was saying about Torino. I think you know going down will probably be the best thing for them in terms of um you know in terms of rebuilding. I think maybe maybe it might not have been such a bad idea to keep to keep the Francesco get relegated and then have him sort of preside over a preside over a sort of comeback. But obviously, we'll, we'll never know now. But yeah, it's it's inter- it's it's. I mean, yeah, I, I'm for me then. Then they're not coming back from that. I think we said about three or four teams tonight. Oh, maybe they should go down and come back. Oh, Palmer, Cagliari, Torino, just go down and sort yourselves out. <laughs> But um, now we're, get, we're going to move on to another team. And, and this team does look like they're going to go down, and that's Crotone. Uh, they've been bottom pretty much all season. Um, they went 2-0 up this weekend, and I was thinking, well, the, the great escape is on. But then they lost 3-2 to Bologna. Good old Bologna. Concede a hat full of goals, score a hat full of goals. It's all good fun. Um, looking at Crotone, they do have a couple of good players, though. They've got um, Messias and um, Simi who've really sort of stood out for them this year. Do you think they, those sort of players could stay in Syria? And, and you know, what sort of clubs could they maybe flourish at next year if they do? I'm going to come to you, Rich, on this one. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you're right. I mean, they've, they've, <laughs> they have had some players this season who, who have performed. And like you say, you know, uh, Gina Bessius for me has been one of the best. 
uh, Adam Nath has been good as well. And so they have got players who, uh, how can I put this, have individually done their best to try and keep this club in the division. So I think there is an option for, for, for them to go to. You know, we just talked about, uh, I'd take Junior Messias for what? If we put him in Palmer's squad, if we put him in Serena's team, you know, we've talked to a couple of clubs there, Calgary. It's a big difference, a big difference, because, you know, with a few more quality players around him, uh, you do think that someone like him could really step up. I mean, Adam Anas, for me as well, he's another one who could easily play for quite a few different City are clubs, but I think Gratoni again, you know, I know we keep saying about clubs going down and come sort of come back up, but I think Gratoni is one of the situations where if they do go down, it's not that easy. It is a fight because you do tend to lose uh, a couple of your bigger players, and then it's how do you rebuild? You know, Italian clubs are notorious for not using the youth systems and not developing those youth systems of hiring mad coaches. Um, you know, it's it's and there's <laughs> the way we're talking, Serie B could be very, very strong next year, so. You know, I think that um, with Cotone, it's one of those situations where it goes in a cycle. The, you know, they'll go down, they will lose certain players and it will be a long rebuild. So it's unfortunate, but that, that's the way it goes, I'm afraid. Yeah, we, we, we seem to want to put three or four teams uh, down there who could be really good. So, yes, yeah, Serie B could be a very good quality next year. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the end of the uh, Serie A roundup. And so I just want to touch on the international break, which is now upon us, uh, whether it should be happening or not is another discussion. Uh, international travel at this point doesn't seem the wisest move, but there you go. Uh, but Italy have a triple header. They play Northern Ireland, Lithuania and Bulgaria over the next week. Roberto Mancini's named an 87-man squad. Um, and so, Jake, I'm going to come to you on this one. Of those 87 players, I'm joking, um, <laughs> Who are you most looking forward to seeing? Do you think there's anyone who can sort of make a late push for playing a crucial role at the Euros this year? Uh, I've just been reading just before. I think Moise Cade is not going to uh, play any part. I think he's left the squad. I think it's sort of set to be confirmed. So he's one that I'd been looking forward to seeing play because obviously what happened to Everton last year was a bit of a debacle and he's just sort of pushed on this year at PSG. He's... Prove the doubt is wrong, definitely. So I was looking forward to seeing him play. I think the one player that stands out for me, though, that I think it's just sort of the romantic in me. I want to see Caputo play for Italy at the Euros. I think um, it's it's very much a fairy tale story. It really cap off the fact that he's worked so hard the last couple of years, done his time lower down, come up to the top league, and you feel like it will probably be his sort of first, last, maybe only chance to sort of prove himself because by the time the World Cup comes around, he's touching thirty-five. Next year, he's 37. I mean, unless he's going to go for a Qualiarella-style uh, Indian summer, I can't see him maybe being at top level that long. So I'd love to see him stick a claim in the squad. He's been in the last couple of squads. He's scored as well for his country as well. So he's the one for me that I really want to see him do well. I think it's just that, like I said, that romantic in me. But I'd, I'd love to see him do well and go to the Euros this summer. I'd love him to score against one of the big teams as well. Um, and people be like, who's that guy? And, and you know, you'd be able to say, well, you know, he does this most of the time during the weeks. So, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him do well. Yeah, that's a really good shout, actually. Um, Just looking at it from a personal perspective, I was sort of wondering how Italy's defence is going to line up. You know, not that strong in the fullback areas right now. And central defence, obviously, there's talk that Chiellini might retire this summer. So what about you, Raphael? Is there anyone in that defence who you think might stick their hand up and, you know, 
come through this this uh, international break and then into the Euros? Uh, I'm not so sure about the defence. I'd say we could probably we could probably expect Bastoni to maybe play a play a bigger role. You know, maybe not at the Euros, but for for the next few years. Obviously, I think with them. With the uh, local restrictions on Inter, I know we probably won't see him in this uh, in this international break. Although that's that's all up in the air, it seems. Um, I think throughout the whole squad, the player I would pick out is Marco Verratti, who's I mean he's rel- relatively speaking he's a veteran, but I think um, at PSG this season it's, it's been quite interesting actually how Pochettino's been using him because he's actually been playing in a much more advanced role than he usually has. Um, much more sort of a playmaker instead of a sort of his usual deep lying, deep lying role, and he sort of reinvented himself under Pochettino, which is quite interesting to watch. And I wonder how that's going to translate in the Italy setup. I mean, it's unlikely he'll be he'll be in a in a similar position, but you know, will we see him? Will we see him take on a take on a new role? I think he's I mean, he's, he's Probably Italy's best midfielder. I know Barella gives him a run for his money, but maybe, you know, I'm probably a bit biased as a Frenchman, but I, I would say that Verratti is probably probably comfortably better than, than Barella right now. And yeah, it'll be interesting just how, you know, how he takes on a leadership role as well at the Euros. I think, you know, this could potentially be maybe not his crowning tournament, but the tournament where he really steps into steps into the limelight and sort of shows people that you know people who forget who you know who forget about him until until he plays in the Champions League once a year, you know, sort of prove people wrong that you know going to the French league and going to PSG wasn't a bad career move, and that he has grown as a player since he's a, since he's gone to France. But as I say that, that is. That is my biased opinion as a as a follower of the French league. He was certainly outstanding in that first leg at the new camp against Barcelona. I think everyone realised how good he was then. Uh, Rich, I know you'll want to uh, fight Barella's corner as well, though. Um, but but as as well as Barella, are there other Italian players that that you're looking forward to seeing this this next week? Yeah, this too, I always like, especially when you've got a fixture list like this. You know, it's time to sort of rotate the squad and try someone new. And Spezia's uh, Matteo Ricci has been called up. So it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, if he can add anything to the midfield. And there's also the Brazilian-born uh, Rafael Toloi, who, you know, uh, for Atalanta, of course. You talk about defenders, it'd be quite interesting to see, you know, if he can step up and, and, and show and do what he can do. So I do think that, yeah, I'm like, obviously, you know, like the guys, people like Bastoni and Barella and Verratti, are certainly players that you know you want to see because they're still young. I mean, you talk about all, especially uh, Bastoni and Barella. I mean, what the 21, 23. I mean, combined, I'm only four years younger than them. It's mental, and they're playing with <laughs> they're playing with such maturity. It's uh, it's phenomenal. But like I said, for me, when you've got these games, and no disrespect to Northern Ireland, etc. But you you want to see this is a time you know you said it's an eighty seven man squad well he needs to use it you know and these are and try and figure out who are going to get those vital places really because the one thing about Italy it's such a strong unit that you could probably name most of that squad who's already going to go it's just some of those who can fight for those missing places. 
yeah, he does seem to have um, his core squad put together already. But yeah, we'll see if there's, you know, sort of two or three who can stick their hand up this week. Uh, and so that concludes the episode, guys. Thanks a lot for joining me, everyone. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye.